You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 44. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello, star coaches. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, professional certified coach, coach educator and mentor, and executive coach. I hope that the week is treating all of you well. I am living in anticipation right now of the ICF Converge Conference that will be in the end of August, the 24th, 25th, 26th of August. It is the global conference, which happens, oh, I don't know, every three to five years. I hope that maybe you've decided to go. It's a wonderful event. If you are going to be there, gosh, look me up, send me an email, send me a note through starcoachshow.com. Would love to meet any listeners who are going to be there. And I know that several of our guest speakers are going to be at the ICF Converge. So that's really exciting. And that's right around the corner. Now, when we look at the strategies, tools and resources that we can employ as coaches. There are many, many good things out there. And a couple weeks ago, we had Donna Zajan on the show, who is the Director of Coaching and Practitioner Services for The Power of TED. And she agreed at that time to come back and do an additional interview around applying the concepts of the power of TED, the empowerment dynamic with our coaches. So in her first show, she focused on how we as coaches need to be in a good place of being in a solid coaching empowering dynamic with our clients rather than in a place of trying to rescue them. And then I asked her to come back so that we could talk about empowerment dynamic as a whole and how we as coaches can work with clients who might be caught in roles of being the victim or being perceived as a persecutor or being in a rescuing role as a leader or as a parent, or maybe that's just the way that they sort of approach life as a whole. So Donna is joining us again today to talk about her husband's book, David Emerald wrote The Power of Ted, and they work together in bringing this empowering work to companies and clients and teaching coaches how to empower clients past the dreaded drama triangle and into an empowering set of behaviors and way of looking at things. Now, as you listen to the interview today, I'm hoping that you'll hear many things that link in with the ICF competencies for you. Donna talks about the difficulty that people who are in a rescuing role have with silence. And we know that as coaches, silence 
is one of the ways that we can empower our clients. We can stay quiet long enough for them to think through what they need to think through and partner with them in that space that allows the thought and the processing that they need to do. We've talked to Donna about looking at where we're moving toward rather than what we want to get away from. And the concepts that she's talking about today, hopefully we'll be able to hear how we use our powerful questioning and really listen actively to be able to hear the dynamics that are going on in our clients' lives so that we can help them move into a better place, a better role, a more empowering dynamic role for them. So we have brought Donna back and I appreciate that Donna has taken the time to come back and share with us the concepts of the power of TED. Let's listen to our interview. Donna, welcome back to the show. It is so good to see you again. Thank you, um, As you were sharing, it's gorgeous right now in the Northwest. So good for you. We're having the dog days of summer here in Dallas. So I'm jealous that you're getting your lovely sort of cool weather compared to the baking that we do here in Texas. Seattle is paradise in the summer and fall. It's just gorgeous. I'm glad to have you here so that we can continue our discussion about the empowerment dynamic, but today with the focus on how can we work with clients who might be caught in the dreaded drama triangle, kind of Mm -hmm. caught in the roles of victim and persecutor and rescuer, and how instead to use our coaching partnership to maybe open up some new awareness and and help them become more empowered. Yes. So I wonder if we could start with maybe just looking at what Cartman's dreaded drama triangle sort of involves, because I know that that's what the empowerment dynamic is the opposite of. That's right. That's right. Well, Dr. Stephen Cartman outlined and wrote about in the 60s and 70s, and it came also out of Eric Burns' work, Games People Play. So we're dating ourselves about this work. And it's very universal and archetypal, though. And he he identified three key roles. When we go reactive, we focus on problems. We're all into our anxiety and controlling a worrisome, sticky nature that doesn't get sticky nature. Isn't that the heck of it? The negative things are sticky. They are. They are. That's part of our neurology. But when we're in that sticky, reactive, neurological reaction, three roles show up, Dr. Cartman said. The first is we feel victimized by whatever it is that we're focusing on, the problem. If nothing else, we're just victim to this problem that just showed up. It could be very mild, bad traffic, long grocery line, or it can be really an internal, eternal sense of, I'm never going to get what I want in life. You know, that's a wide range, but it's, it's that victim, we're powerless to choose. And we focus on the problem, which in Dr. Cartman's term is the persecutor. The persecutor is the person that's controlling us or the situation. And that controlling nature of the person is what David and I in the Power of Ted work focus on, more of the relationship of a person or our relationship to an event, such as cancer or a national disaster or something. Again, those are all big things. It could also be 
I'm victim to the persecuting nature of the traffic right now. So it can be also everyday small things, of course. Well, once that dynamics shows up, the third role that Dr. Cartman outlined is the rescuer, the one who wants to please and fix things, who wants to manage their sense, and I should say my sense, because I'm very much a defaulting rescuer, of not being comfortable with life as it is, the situation as it is. So we jump in and want to fix and please. And this is the role we're zeroing in on with the stop rescuing, start coaching phenomena uh, that we're talking about today and how to recognize this and coach someone who's stuck in that rescuing, pleasing nature that probably is full of kindness and caring. I mean, that's why they're trying to help in some ways because they care so much. And yet there's real harm if this is the only go-to method of relating, Mm -hmm. especially as a leader. Mm-hmm. If we're coaching a leader, a team leader, and they're really in this unknowing role of, I'm just rescuing, they'll know it because they're exhausted and because they're training their team members to keep checking back with them. And they're in a micromanaging process, very likely. Others will probably see them as a persecutor, but their nature is, I just want to help. I just want to please. So that's what I think if we concentrate today, Meg, on how to coach someone who's, who's stuck in that dynamic would be really useful. Okay. So when somebody is stuck in the dynamic of rescuing, even if they're being seen if they see themselves as trying to help a key element you said there is that the people who are in that dynamic with them might very well be feeling persecuted by their rescuing and therefore they're falling in the role of victim so we've got the this dynamic going on and as we coach somebody who maybe it's a leader or a, a parent or any number a colleague who is coming from the place, you know, their colleague to other people, they want to be helpful, they want to be dynamic in their interactions with others, yet they're triggering these other responses. They're triggering the response of maybe victim. And I know that coming from my background as a therapist, many times people, and and you made a note of this in our last interview, regardless of the role that's being played, it's victim-based. It's victim thinking based. All three of the strategies Dr. Cartman identified are behavior strategies to manage as a small child. We looked up to the big giants called adults and said, wow, how do I get through life? And these three basic strategies also happen to align with psychologist Karen Horney in the 40s identified these three strategies. We either move back and avoid We either lean in and try to control or we hug and want to please and manage. Mm -hmm. And uh, we tend to have one default of those three. And a lot of coaches and helping professions tend to default to the rescuing, pleasing role. That's why we self-select that we want to be helpers. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is awesome. And the world really gives a lot of compliments and social reinforcement to the rescuing, pleasing role. It's again, it's when it's our only way of relating to the world and we go to an extreme, you know, every quality has light and dark to it. (laughs) Right. If we over function with the rescuing role, we can create some real darkness in our own life and that we're constantly burned out. We feel a sense of obligation to fix the world. We, sen- we sense a sense of urgency that it's got to happen now. 
So we hate silence. We do not like waiting or patience. We want to see it fixed now because we're uncomfortable with the anxiety. And we really actually look for gratitude from others of saying how wonderful we are, even though we're trying to act like we really don't care about what others think because we just want to please and be helpful. But we grovel then when we don't get all the accolades we want. So there's a lot of characteristics to this pleasing phenomena. And if you can't recognize them as a coach in yourself, when they're operating, it's going to be very difficult for you to coach another, a client, because you can't see in others what you don't see in yourself. Wouldn't you say, May? Right, which is why we thought it was so important to kind of put that interview out there first about the rescuing as a coach and how to stop rescuing and start coaching. And so we want to increase the self-awareness and make certain that we're not falling into that role. What are some of the things, and then you also gave some great indicators of things to listen for in our clients that might indicate that they're in that place of being in the drama triangle, whether, you know, that maybe they're exhausted, maybe they're feeling that they're not being appreciated and maybe they're genuinely not being appreciated, but you know, what are they doing in response to that? How are they interacting and how do you move somebody from that place of maybe feeling put upon or they're exhausted because they're rescuing or Mm -hmm. they're not able to see life in in an empowering light because they're looking through the lens of being a victim. What Mm -hmm. are some of the things that a coach might do to move somebody from that position into an empowerment dynamic? And maybe it also starts with kind of talking about what the empowerment dynamics are. I'd be glad to. But the first thing, Meg, in order to coach another person and move Mm -hmm. them, of course, we can't move for others unless they want to work with the willing. And yet, as a coach, you know, one of our competencies is to increase awareness, increase understanding. And so the first thing I say is that you must understand your own rescuing qualities before you can see it in another. So the first thing is take a deep dive to maybe listen to our first session where we got really in depth of detail of what the rescuing qualities look like when we Mm -hmm. show up that way as a coach. Mm -hmm. And as you then take a deep dive, the first thing I'd ask you to do is listen for meaning of how your client is approaching a situation. Listen for meaning in terms of how do they see the other? Do they see the other or the situation as a problem to fix? Or do they see the other as, you know, certainly whole, resourceful, complete, one of our core mantras of how we describe others, but not just something as a cliche. Truly get very, very honest in the way you work with your clients is, do they see the other as a co-creator? Do they see the other as whole and resourceful? And stay with that inquiry for quite a while, because when we're really steeped into the resting role, we're so focused on ourselves as helpers, we can go, we can become very unclear about how we're seeing others. It's just not our focus. Right. If we're focused in, in, in our direction, we're really not focused in or curious about the, about the other person. That's right. And a, a manager, a leader who is all about their own role and climbing the corporate ladder, or they're all about looking good and making sure that everything is buttoned up just right. or and, and they also can be very clear about their sense of service and their desire 
to want, especially in nonprofits, you really, really hear this deep sense of service. And it, it, so the crusading nature as a rescuer starts evolving there. And a crusader as a rescuer is one who is truly on the road of fixing everything. And I can only say that because, as I shared with you last session, I literally remember the morning I realized the sun was going to rise without my help. I had such a sense of urgency to fix the world, the universe. I went into elected politics to fix the world through politics. And, and so this is, it's a subtle nature that as a coach, you must listen for of how are they relating to the world? How do they see the other in terms of who they are as a leader how, or their family or their neighbors? Just clearly listen to that. And I'm going to go back to, You've got to listen to it in your own life and how you're being as a coach in order to really hear this in your clients. So that's that's where I'd start, Meg. Mm-hmm. Okay. So start with that self-awareness and then with your own self-awareness, then begin to listen to how your client is interacting and seeing the people that they interact with, the relationships they have and what the dynamics of those relationships are. And that's where we coaches earn our money in that we help accelerate understanding and insight. So how do we do that without telling? One of the ways I've done it is uh, we have a chart, which is a two-page summary chart. If people would like want to write me at Donna at powerofted.com, I'll share it with them. But sometimes I simply show a client the chart and the meanings or a brief description, two or three sentences of each of the drama triangle roles. And maybe we just finished talking about a drama situation on their team. Mm -hmm. So I'll push this in front of them or I'll have sent it ahead of time and say, hey, let's call them Susan. Susan, take a look at those three drama roles and let's go back to this situation. Do any one of those three roles sound familiar to you of how you might have related to your team member or the situation? It takes about 20, 30 seconds after they've read it to say, yeah, I see what I just did. Okay. That so that awareness helps. begins. That's right. That's the awareness begins with, and if you just on the spot, maybe share the drama triangle roles with them just as simply as we did earlier in this call. And again, ask, don't tell them, I think you're being a rescuer here. Right. I'll tell you right away. It's only through 10 years of practicing this. That is the best way for them to get defensive and feel persecuted by my telling them that they're, oh, they're just rescuing people. Well, and in actuality, if we're truly coaching, we're going to stay in inquiry and curiosity, and we want to know what their perception is rather than being telling them what we see. Exactly. And so that's our second step here. See it in ourselves, then uh, support others in seeing it gently rather than telling. Allow them to have their own epiphanies through the examples we just used. So once now the conversation is starting, wow, rescuer, now I recommend seeing if there uh, there can be some epiphanies around patterns in their lives. Where else are they showing up with this need to want to please habitually, jump in, take charge? Again, it's a controlling part and others might see them as a persecutor, but their pattern of belief system, what's going on here? How are they making meaning of a situation by this rescuing tendency? Continue that conversation, help elicit patterns, maybe over a period of sessions, have them do some journaling and insights about how how else does this pattern of rescuing show up in their life. Once you start doing that, now they're getting really curious, going, wow, I had no idea I was doing this all the time. It just was my winning strategy of how to get through life. Mm -hmm. And it's brilliant. So now you have an opening 
to go back and take a look at what's the origins behind how this pattern started developing. You don't have to get psychoanalytical too much, just in a way enough so you're supporting them for insight and awareness so that they can see the brilliance of their pattern was based upon life situations that made sense. Mm-hmm. Now you have an opportunity to develop some compassion for themselves. You just did what made sense for your life circumstances. And it can range from very serious trauma to a looking good family who just like mine said, we want to be pleasing and kind all the time. Do not say anything unless you can say a kind word. You know, that's fine. I had a very nice and lovely family. And yet that kind of mantra in a family nurtures almost only rescuers. Yeah. So you want to gain enough understanding so that they can see the pattern been established and the reason for the pattern, what the benefit was for the pattern or what brought it forward so that they can maybe make a different choice now. Exactly. And sometimes it's now an opening for the harm it may be doing on their team. Going back to our client, Susan, well, when you jump in and are so willing to answer every question, even if they're interrupting you 14 times a day, you tell them then what you're doing. Take a look at the harm that's doing. What's that training them to do? And it's training them, of course, to not think for themselves. Wow, what's the harm in today's world when our coworkers don't think for themselves? There's a lot of harm. Right. You don't create and innovate with a rescuing leader who taps down the creativity of their team. That's a very serious harm. And I wonder how how much, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, I just wonder how much uh, somebody who is genuinely trying to rescue, how shocked they might be to realize that maybe the people that are working under them feel victimized. Yes, exactly. It's very shocking. And this is when a 360, a really high quality 360, I use the leadership circle because it's so aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah victim, rescuer, persecutor behaviors and strategies, Mm -hmm. as well as the creator, creative strategies that's embedded in TED, the leadership or the empowerment dynamic. So now you have an opening to share. Okay, now you see how you're in the drama triangle. You see this reoccurring rescuing pattern and you can introduce then what are the positive roles that are the antidotes of the opposites? the victim, persecutor, rescuer. And that's where David and I's lifelong work has been around developing the opposite of victim is creator. You learn to create and take responsibility for your life. It's a huge, phenomenal, big deal. And we have, you know, 30 seconds to talk about it right now. (laughs) I'll give you a whole 60. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the antidote to victim is learning to create. The antidote to a persecutor who wants to control, blame, take charge and put down is learning to challenge, learning to be a truth teller with clear, direct, but not with blame or persecuting, only see the truth as it is. And what is it that we have to learn here? What's the gratitude that's showing up so that we can grow, learn, and develop? Now, the antidote to the rescuer is coach. And we don't mean coach with a capital C professional coach. We all know that the world of organizations is hungry to learn how to coach. And of course, they want to to do that in one day with one training. (laughs) And it's going to stick. It's going to be great. (laughs) But you really can learn to coach and develop through your great coaching with your client. You can model for them the positive alternative to rescuing is doing exactly what you're doing for yourself as a coach. Notice it in yourself. 
Tell your own stories about how you do it. Invite others to see how they may be participating. And that team leader, Susan, can start inviting others to do that. But it takes practice because we rescuers do not like silence. Right. We don't like patience. We really, to an extreme, can it almost feels like a death to us when we give up our power of fixing and pleasing and rescuing because we're not sure how the other person's going to do it the way we would do it or right. as fast as we would do it. And so the shift for your clients and helping them understand how to coach and develop their team rather than rescue them mm-hmm. is, I mean, that's, you could spend a year coaching someone just on that shift. And one of the things that, that you said fits very much also in with when, when we're coaching leaders who have a hard time delegating. So yeah. as, as you said, I have a hard time believing anybody else could do it as well or, or, you know, let me rush in to fix. I could certainly see that going very hand in hand with difficulty in delegating. So that might be when you've got somebody who, you know, you're being told this person just has a horrible time delegating. That might be a little bit of a red flag or a, an awareness for you to explore. Is there potentially some rescuing going on with this lack of delegation? Yeah, you just nailed one of the suggestions I have in coaching your clients a little homework uh, is to learn to ask for help. Rescuers have a very hard time asking for help because we sense an obligation to fix the entire world ourselves. And so asking for help, exaggerate asking for help. So when you want something, uh, and I'm, you might start at home or the least drama-filled relationship, yes. you may not start at work when you're mm-hmm. coaching a client on this exercise, as learning to ask for help. instead. Of, so you go to a restaurant and you don't want to rock the boat because you're such a pleaser. Ask for everything exactly the way you want it the steak or whatever you're having uh, cooked a certain way. And if you don't get it, send it back. Learn to ask for exactly what you want because it's a very uncomfortable exercise for Mm -hmm. rescuers to ask for what they want. And notice then when you're doing that, how does it feel to ask for what you really want? And it seems paradoxical because rescuers think of themselves as always asking and pleasing, but we don't. We really don't at all. We don't know what self-help is because we're always focusing on what are the needs and the other people need from us. So that's one of the things I would encourage as homework is asking your clients who have a rescuing tendency to learn to ask for help. Okay. And that might very well kind of move them into some discomfort. I think that there's also maybe, and I'm wondering your thoughts about this, a shift in perception also for the coach or for the people working around these kinds of leaders, we might fall into assumption that somebody doesn't delegate because they're being power hungry or because they're being too exacting and that there might be other dynamics around that as well. So just to open up possibility for where some of the issue or the struggle might be coming from. Absolutely. And that's why this is such a big topic. That sense of perfectionism can be very much a part of rescuers and other people may not have a high perfectionism, but I use Geffen good enough for now Mm -hmm. as a homework routine for perfectionist rescuers. Learn to simply leave a few things undone as a way and then notice your anxiety, notice your inner state as you set with good enough for now. 
mm-hmm. as a mantra to combat that perfectionism streak. There is a deep sense of belonging for some who really have, and usually it's very, very early childhood loss or some sort of abandonment issues that can cause a really strong need to rescue in order to get love, in order to feel belonged. Now, there is some people rescue and don't have that going on at all. So as you say, mm-hmm. Meg, there is a lot going on, but the simplicity of the idea of working with someone who has a rescuing trait, if you keep following it, you're going to uncover some of those very big ways of making meaning and coach them from the perspective of what is it that they want to uh, let go of? You know, what is the Zen saying, let go or be dragged? <laughs> what, what are they going to let go of? Because they do want to grow and excel. Most likely you're not working with them unless they're wanting to tell the truth about some of their habits. And learning to become aware of this rescuing trait can be a huge epiphany for many of our clients. Excellent. Now, with the work that you and David do together around the empowerment dynamic, I'm wondering if you have the opportunity at all to kind of go into companies and sort of educate about the empowerment dynamic, whether that is ever something that you do help companies see all three of the negative roles and how those can be actually treated anecdotically, and I can't even say it, with the empowerment dynamic. Well, that's David and I's lifetime work in his book, The Power of Ted. Uh, many organizations are reading it, and that's one of the first things that happens. A team leader, an HR person will have heard about it. They'll, they'll order some copies. An entire team will read about it. And it's a story. It's a leadership story of a fellow named David who learns about the drama triangle, learns about uh, the alternative through this uh, fellow named Ted, and teaches him the positive dynamics. And at the end of David's books, there's a clear distinction, a clear description of all six roles. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens is the team starts seeing the roles and they start having a common language and can see when individuals are falling into drama triangle roles. But the other thing, Meg, that's crazy and amazing is an entire team can take on a drama triangle role. Oh, yeah. team can feel victimized by making all the promises to clients and then the operational team that doesn't fulfill those promises are the persecutors and the salespeople feel victimized that our company is not doing what we're out there saying we can do. There's all kinds of things that start happening when the entire team sees the culture of the reactivity and they say, wait a minute, how do we want to relate? And that's where we want to become creators. We want to challenge. We want to coach rather than being in this reactive victim, persecutor, rescuer role. So I think I hope I answered your question that how we do it is they oftentimes read the book. We have entire hospitals that their book read is Power of Ted because the helping profession so defaults to rescuer and they don't know how to get out of it. And they are very shy about becoming challengers and creators because of the challenge in healthcare right now. What I think is one of, and you know, I read The Power of Ted years ago, was just so excited about the fact that it takes, I think that many of us can be very well versed in talking about the drama triangle, but what I love about the empowerment dynamic is that it gives language to change that. It gives language to move into the other roles that are more empowering and makes them very tangible, maybe, that that it's not just stop being a victim. Stop being a victim. You know, how can one become a creator? 
you know, stop rescuing. Well, instead, you know, how can you coach instead of rescue? So I think it gives very, gosh, doable, empowering opposite ends to look at rather than just looking at what we don't want. It gives very creative movement toward what's better. Well, as you know, our story, that's exactly what happened to us. We started both later in life as coaches saying, wow, this drama triangle is so powerful, but there's got to be a better way. As coaches, we're about the future and where do we want to go? And as we started researching the literature around the drama triangle, everyone and every article we read just said, stop being a victim, stop persecuting, stop rescuing. But that, you know, the more you stop something and you focus on it, the greater it becomes. Right. Because and, we're still looking at your brain doesn't hear the stop part. It just hears victim. <laughs> That's right. Rescuer. Our own long walks and conversations that David and I, especially David, took a very serious. We need we want to create a positive alternative. And as we named the positive roles, we had a couple of focus groups and they went, wow, this is changing the way I look at my life. And we said, there's something here. And we hired an editor and David read, uh, wrote the story. And now as a master certified coach, it's become my life's work with him to help exchange, extend, develop these ideas. Because what we learn is, is that the drama triangle to Ted helps elevate the inner observer. I call it the SOS, self-observing self. Because we can stop and at any one point say, wow, what role am I playing here? Where do I want to be? And it accelerates our learning. And, and as coaches and working with teams and organizations and leaders, any tool that can accelerate learning based upon positive psychology is, is going to stick longer than just some clever tool that we thought of the day before. Exactly. Great way to kind of close out the interview. So really powerful stuff. For any of you who have not read The Power of Ted, The Empowerment Dynamic, I would encourage you to read David Emerald's book. That is what Adana and I have been talking about today. It's her life's work. She and her husband are very dynamic at it. And I appreciate that you've taken your time today to take us a little bit deeper into how we can help our clients not just stop it, but actually get tools to see where they want to move toward rather than focusing on where they're stuck. Thank you, Meg, for your good work and creating a platform for coaches to share uh, strategies and tools and resources. Thank you, Donna. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The empowerment dynamic is one of those frameworks or tools that we can use as a coach to help our clients find different opportunities and options and different ways to look at things. So once again, I really thank Donna Zajan for spending time talking to us about the power of TED, the empowerment dynamic, and how we might apply that to our work with clients. If you'd like to know more about Donna or the power of TED, or about the Star Coach Show, visit starcoachshow.com. On our resource page, we'll have information about Donna. If you'd like to send your comments or let me know that you might be at the ICF Converge Conference, feel free to contact me through the contact page. Sign up for the ongoing book giveaway and stay in touch with the show through Star Coach Show on Facebook. Once again, I want to thank you for taking time 
to spend some creative time with us here at the Star Coach Show to just explore a new strategy, tool, resource that might be helpful for your coaching practice. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fabulous week.